Welcome, welcome, and I'm back. Finally back. It's a taste to consider podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver, and I'm back. Like I said, I'm finally back. Episode two of season two. It's been a minute. It's definitely been a minute. <laughs> Episode one of season two was back in January. Oh, wow, hell, the world has changed since then. Definitely a big change in the world since the first episode of season two. Oh, man, we got, you know, the COVID-19, a.k.a. the coronavirus. Shit is real. (laughs) But, yeah, um, I know y'all wondering, like, you know, where I've been, what's been going on. But... For all the previous listeners out there, everybody that's part of the show, you know that I only record based off the, off of my feelings, and I just wasn't feeling it after the first episode. Whew. I, de- I decided to take a break after um, episode one because the Mercury retrograde started around that time, and I really don't like doing too much stuff during the Mercury retrograde. So I took a break, you know, Mercury Retrograde ended, I think, around the end of March. So I went back and forth, uh, you know, when I was going to record, but I still wasn't feeling it. I still wasn't feeling it. And then, you know, in the midst of the Mercury Retrograde, here comes the COVID-19, a.k.a. the coronavirus, and... You know, the world just, you know, is in hysteria right now. You know, it's a lot of fear out there, a lot of, you know, um, worry. Um, It's just just a lot going on. Got all the stuff going on in the news, everything going on out in the streets, you know, uh, people dying, people getting infected with the disease and recovering, you know, all these numbers popping out there and putting people in a panic. So, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I just wasn't feeling recording at that time. But, you know, like I I'm like I've said plenty of times on the show, I'm always a believer of, you know, everything, you know, always having a reason stuff not being a coincidence. So, you know, despite the fact that it's, you know, negativity surrounded by what's going on, you know, I do believe that there's a reason for it and everything is happening for our highest good. So it's not it's not a coincidence that, you know, it's me even recording on this day and the show is going to come out when it comes out. For one, uh, today is May 1st, and that's the beginning of Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, So, you know, things just align with me recording now and it being Mental Health Awareness Month. And also, you know, the topic of what I will be discussing today and how it lines up with everything that's going on out in the world and, you know, personally what I've gone through in my life. So, you know, things just lined up perfectly. And, you know, so I definitely don't regret not recording any sooner 
because everything just aligned perfectly. And I feel very great about, you know, recording tonight. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous. And that was part of the reason why I didn't record in a, in a while, because after I took that little break during the Mercury retrograde, I was just feeling anxious. I was feeling anxious about recording for some reason. And that was weird for me, and that was something that I had to, you know, uh, work through a little bit, because I'm never anxious when it's time to record. I'm always excited to record, but I was anxious about recording again for some reason. Um, cause I've already, I already, you know, wrote an outline for the show, knew what I was going to talk about and everything, but I just couldn't get the, the energy or the push or the, you know, the drive to sit down and actually record the show. But like I said, everything aligned perfectly and, you know, I feel good about it. So let me start off with what I'm drinking tonight. I'm drinking some Hennessy and Coke. Um, one of my favorite drinks, of course, anybody that knows me. And the cigar that I'm smoking, um, I've smoked it before in one of the shows. Um, and honestly, I'm so sorry about this, but I forgot the name of it. And I already threw the wrapper in the trash. I forgot the name of it, but it's one of my favorite cigars at the moment. Um, if I remember, I will make sure to post it on posted on Instagram and, um, you know, uh, YouTube and stuff like that. So people can know what the cigar is, the, the brand name of it and stuff. So sorry about that. I had to take a puff. Mm. Well, let's get to the show. Like I said, you know, this episode, you know, the the topic and the title as well, just aligning with everything that's that's been going on so far in the world and matching up with, you know, uh, what I've gone through in my life. And, you know, because of this coronavirus, COVID-19, the... They've started the, you know, recommend it to everybody and put into place the social social distancing. And I found it interesting, excuse me, with the social distancing, how how it aligns so much with um my life and you know, with the social distancing, they want everybody to stay home and stay to themselves and, you know, not be in large gatherings and large crowds and stuff like that. And I was just sitting back thinking, like, you know, during the social distancing, you know, God bless me that I'm still able to work during the social distancing. And... I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, and the whole time of me being at home teleworking and stuff, I'm like, this is what I do all the time. So it's like I'm on social media and stuff, and I'm seeing all these people, like, literally having cabin fever and going to little 
crazy and stuff with with being in the house, not being able to go out and party and hang with their friends and stuff like that. And I'm sitting here like, man, I'm I'm comfortable, you know. I'm I'm used to this. This nuts this this is nothing for me. <laughs> and one thing that I thought about when all of this stuff started going on, the coronavirus and stuff, was that you know, this is gonna force a lot of people to sit their ass down and evaluate certain things about their lives. Because, you know, a lot of people, they just be on the go so they don't have to sit there and and face certain things. You know, a lot of people have to be busy, you know, so they don't have to face certain things, so they don't have to feel certain feelings and stuff. And I'm usually the one in the house always, you know, uh, feeling my feelings Especially, you know, in the the past few years since I've been going to therapy and my therapist has been focusing on me, focusing on my feelings, actually knowing what I'm actually feeling at the moment and processing those feelings. So I remember tweeting when when all the social distancing started going on that, you know, a lot of people going to have to sit down and face a lot of things that they haven't faced. And that's what I've been feeling about 2020 since January, that this is going to be a year of God or, you know, whoever you believe in. I'm not trying to be preachy or nothing, but you're going to be, 2020 is going to be the year that a lot of people are going to be forced to change things, to change their way of thinking change how they perceive the world, how they perceive themselves, how they perceive others in relation to themselves. A lot of people are going to have to sit down and be forced to make changes and to confront things and look in the mirror, so to speak. And I had that feeling even before the coronavirus started, before all the social distancing started. So I'm like, you know, I'm sitting here doing the social distancing and I'm, I wouldn't say necessarily enjoying myself. I'm enjoying not going to work, (laughs) not sitting in traffic every day. Uh, But I'm used to this. You know, this is, this is nothing new for me. I find myself having at, at times not liking me having the, the freedom to get up and go as I as I did beforehand, but you know, I'm used to being in the house. I'm used to chilling, watching a bunch of shows, sitting in the house, meditating, reading, <laughs> and stuff like that. So, you know, this this is nothing new to me. But not to say that, you know, during this time that I haven't been forced to sit down and confront some things, because I definitely have. Um my last therapy session I had a breakthrough of some sorts, um, about how I see certain things and my relationship with my father and stuff like that. And just how, you know, um, how I deal with, with people, period. Cause even before the coronavirus shut everything down, uh, what me and my therapist was focusing on was my social anxiety and me working through my social anxiety, getting out more, being able to do things by myself and, you know, just just work through that 
that that feeling of me being stuck or, or trapped in an open cage, so to speak. Because anytime I, I think about my social anxiety, I think about uh, a box cage. You can see through it around four, <laughs> around the four walls, bars around the four walls. You can see through, and the door is wide open. But I just will not walk out that door. That's how I describe my social anxiety whenever you know anybody asks about it. And what's weird about it is it's just gotten worse as I've gotten older. I'm 38 years old right now, and I want to say that, you know, all of this started when I was around, like, I guess 13 or 14 when I started being confronted with my social anxiety. And that was like, um, not like, but that was my freshman year of high school, being in new surroundings and being around different people. You know, I just moved to a a new part of the uh, the county, PG County that I live in in, in Maryland. I moved to a different um, city and different high, you know, different schools, starting high school and different friends and stuff, new people, you know, it was like, it was like a, a, a shock, a culture shock to me. And even though I was, I was pretty social around that time, but it definitely started around, around that time, you know, I was still a little social, but it was like that, that that social anxiety was creeping up on me, you know, just feeling like, you know, I had to be a certain way or, you know, dress a certain way and stuff like that because, you know, like the high school that I went to in our county was labeled as a as a, a uppity high school or, you know, like a a fashion high school, so to speak, and, you know, that just wasn't me. My parents didn't buy me all the Jordans and all the nicest clothes and everything. I had, you know, they, I had nice clothes. I just didn't have the, the quote unquote popular clothes. You know, I was never without anything. So, you know, that wasn't the case. My parents wasn't poor, but they just didn't buy me all the popular things, so to speak, that, you know, everybody else had around that time. Let me take a break for a second and let y'all know that the other podcast that I'm a part of, um, Unproductive and Unapologetic Podcast, the UNU Podcast, shout out to them. We're still recording, so we have many episodes up right now. Um, we're still recording during the COVID-19. We're, uh, we are recording virtually, so continue checking us out. You know, um, you hear another side of me, you get you know, a lot of relationship stuff, um, some jokes, sports, uh, conversations that that men have, conversations that men I, <laughs> men don't really have at times. And just, you know, uh, particularly for the ladies, you know, our, 
I think what it um seventy one or seventy two percent of our audience is females. So, you know, women want to hear what what we're talking about. And you know, if you haven't started listening to that podcast yet, check it out. You will definitely enjoy that. Well, let me get back to the topic at hand, and that is social anxiety. Social anxiety. And let me give a little background of uh, social anxiety. Uh, social anxiety disorder, uh, also known as social phobia, is the third largest mental health care problem in the world today. Uh, the latest government epidemiological Data shows social anxiety affects about 7% of the population at any given time. The lifetime prevalence rate stands slightly above 13%. Social anxiety is the fear of social situations that involve interaction with other people. You could say social anxiety is the fear and anxiety of being negatively judged and evaluated by other people. It is a pervasive disorder and causes anxiety and fear in most all areas of a person's life. It's chronic because it does not go away on its own. Only direct cognitive behavior therapy can change the brain and help people overcome social anxiety. <sighs> yeah, and that's the definition of social anxiety. And... That's exactly what I go through. I, I struggle with um I struggle with interacting with other people, um, particularly people that I don't know. Um when I'm feeling when when my social anxiety is bothering me, it's it's definitely because I feel like I'm being negatively judged or I will be negatively judged by other people. Um it it is real it's really difficult for me to be in a room with people that I don't know and that feel uncomfortable. I feel like extremely uncomfortable in rooms where as you can say I'm by myself. I don't know anybody and even at times if I'm in rooms where I know somebody, I'll feel the social anxiety. And it's tough for me because, like, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I hate it. I hate it with a passion because I just hate feeling like that. I hate feeling, I hate being in a room or being in any type of social setting where I don't have control and you know that that that's that's another you know topic in itself but i just hate being in rooms where you know i don't have control over my myself and over that fear and, and that anxiety and you know it it's i feel like social anxiety I'm not even going to say feel. I know. I know social anxiety is the biggest thing that I deal with on a daily basis and that I have dealt with for years. You know, I've I've had I've struggled with depression before. I've had depression 
And of course, general anxiety, but social anxiety is is where is the the central central centralized problem or the central focus of my life. And let me go into some of the perceptions of social anxiety. It says people with social anxiety are many times seen by others as being shy, quiet, backward, withdrawn, inhibited unfriendly, nervous, aloof, and disinterested. And when I read this, I was just like, damn. That's, I mean, that's pretty much stuff that I've heard all my life that, you know, oh, he's shy. Oh, why are you so quiet? And I, I remember particularly this one word, aloof. Um, in one of, my, one of my old jobs, my project manager, she used to write on my... <laughs> on my evaluation that, you know, I would come off as aloof to my coworkers or to her. And I was always like, what the hell does aloof mean? And I had to look it up and I saw what it mean. I was just like, man, I, it it's irritating because I feel like people, even even out, outside of my my worries and fears of being socially judged by other people, I'm going to be socially judged by other people regardless, you know? So it, it, it irritates me. That's, that's one thing that my social anxiety does. It irritates me. It irritates me on both those levels, the level of, of me dealing with it personally and people's own perceptions of me based off not knowing that I deal with social anxiety. Because I've, I've had plenty of times people over the years say, oh, why are you so serious? And, you know, why are you so quiet? And, you know, oh, you shy and stuff like that. And that stuff used to irritate me. It got to the point where I just started, you know, describing myself as that, you know, when, excuse me, when people will ask me why I'm not talking or, you know, if I'm at, out at a function or something, why are you so quiet and stuff like that? And, or, you know, when I was younger and uh, with girls in school and stuff like that, I'll just be like, oh, I'm shy. You know, I'll just say, I'm shy. And back then, you know, I didn't really know what was going on. I just thought I was shy because, you know, that's how everybody else uh, described me or perceived me. So... I thought I was just shy, <laughs> you know, and you know that's it's just it's just so irritating to me, and I still deal with it today. And if it's not in the social setting, I'm definitely dealing with it at work. Currently, at the job that I'm at now, I feel like I got passed over for a promotion because people's perception of me was I was too quiet. You know, certain comments that were being made about me, you know, uh, you know, uh, with this promotion, you're going to have to talk. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what the hell? Why are you saying that? Obviously, I talk if I'm getting the work done, if I'm part of presentations or I'm giving presentations and stuff like that, or I'm speaking in meetings and stuff like that. And I and it just irritates me when people's people's perceptions of me uh, just based off of a projection that they have 
for themselves, you know, that just because they like they like to be social, that they like to talk all day long or, you know, they like to gossip or tell other people's business and stuff like that, that I have to be involved in that type of stuff. That stuff irritates me, you know, people's projections on me based off of how they perceive me. That that irritates me or because I'm not partying the same way that they doing or I'm not uh socializing the same way or talking about the same things in a in a certain point of the the night or something like that they'll they'll project on me based off of their perceptions you know or you too serious or you you too quiet or why you don't talk a lot and stuff like that man that shit pisses me off it really pisses me off and when i get into those type of situations i just fall right back into into uh a shell, basically. It, if you if you come to me with saying I'm too quiet or I'm too serious or you need to talk more or something like that, I will basically cut you off. I will cut. It will be complete radio silence because I I can't stand the fact that you know people do that. I mean, cause like I ain't even gonna lie. At times it it hurts. Other times I just be like, man, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't want to have no no parts of dealing with that person because they their perception of me and not really having a chance to you know get get to know me or you know understand me and it's usually people that that say this type of stuff it's usually people that don't even know me or whatever granted it's some people that have known me for years that still you know look at me like this that I'm too quiet or something like that or I'm too serious and stuff um but I usually let that slide because I've had plenty of interactions with them where I know that, you know, a lot of a lot of times that, you know, if it's not personally me doing something that is, you know, it's just whatever they going through and they projecting it on me. But it, it that people's perceptions of me definitely piss me off. And it makes it tougher for me to be, you know, social and to interact more when people throw their perceptions at me off the break it just it just does you know I'll just straight cut you off I can't stand when people say I'm too serious or I'm too quiet or I need to talk more and stuff you know like relax give me a chance you know what I'm saying because I definitely don't even outside of my social anxiety I'm not the person that just open up to people off the break you know what I'm saying because I have to I have to see if I even want to be around you from you know from jump so you know but it is what it is it's it's just another part of my social anxiety that I have to I have to you know work through I had to take a puff Um, it also says paradoxically people with social anxiety want to make friends be included in groups and be involved and engaged in social interactions but having social anxiety prevents people from being able to do the things they want to do. Although people with social anxiety want to be friendly, open, and sociable, it is fear and anxiety that holds them back. Which is what, you know, it's definitely true. That's that's how I feel, you know what I'm saying? I want to make friends, I want to be social and stuff, but, you know, people's perceptions will, will throw me off and, you know, I'll, I'll fall back after that. Or... You know, just 
even outside of me worrying about what other people judging me based off of, you know, they'll judge me, you know, out in the open based off of their perceptions of me because of my social anxiety. And it just, it just makes me fall back and I'll just be quiet. Because, you know, if for people who, who definitely know me, they definitely know that I have a, 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 a great sense of humor. I'm very talkative. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very social. But you just got to, you know, be there to, to experience it. And I'm goofy as hell. Anybody know know me for real, for real. I'm goofy as hell, and I, I like to joke around. But everybody doesn't don't seem accepting of it. They they'll they'll have another perception if I if I try to open up to them, you know. And it's like perception after perception that I have to hurdle over just to to be myself. And that's one thing that, you know, another thing that I have to work through, just constantly not worrying about being myself and how other people are going to perceive it. So it's like I'm I'm jumping so many hurdles with the social anxiety. And it gets so tough at times that, you know, I just I just uh, just be like, I don't I don't care. I don't. I'll just, you know, stay in the house and chill and, and do me or whatever. You know, um, I come off as an introvert, and maybe I am an introvert, but I, over the past few years, I've I've often wondered, you know, am I really an introvert or is it just my social anxiety and the habits of me being to myself for so long, for so many years, 20-something years, that, you know, Maybe I'm not really an introvert, but you know that's that's how I created myself by staying in the house and staying to myself so much. So, you know, like with with this whole COVID nineteen, this coronavirus, you know, I've been living a social distance for for over. 20 years I've been living a social distance for that long so that's why this isn't nothing new to me you know I've been living in a social distance pretty much my whole life it's got to the point where it's comfortable but it's also it's also uncomfortable because I don't want to live my life like this you know I don't want to I don't want to be shut in for my whole life, and that's one of the reasons why me and my therapist have been working so hard to get me over my social anxiety. And it was like in the midst of me working through my social anxiety and stuff, then this pops up. And when I met with her last week, I I honestly told her that I was nervous. I was nervous about, you know, getting back into this mode and this habit of staying in the house and doing me, being by myself a lot, not interacting with people and stuff like that, not going out to places by myself and feeling comfortable going out to places by myself, you know, and, and, 
and all of this popping up, it's like, damn, you know, I was like, I was, you know, working towards something, and now I'm right back to where I started, and I'm, I'm honestly nervous, and I really had to tell her that, that I am really nervous, because I don't want to get back into this mode of me being comfortable shut in, being comfortable living in a social distance. <laughs> It's definitely uh, scary for me because I really was trying my best and working through it because I was tired of, you know, worrying about people's perceptions of me and being shut in and, you know, not being able to make new friends and feel comfortable hanging out with different people, new people and stuff like that. Because although, you know, I, I have friends and, you know, my podcast mates, which are my friends, it's our name is unproductive for a reason. So we're even unproductive with hanging out with each other outside of the podcast. So, you know, it's a struggle for me, you know. It definitely is. And it's, it's I swear it's, it's it's the toughest thing that that I deal with for ye that I deal with now and have dealt with for years. Outside of my depression and my generalized anxiety, which I've, you know, gotten over, but social anxiety is still like, it's like the kicker. But let me go into, you know, some of the triggering symptoms. It says, people with social anxiety usually experience significant distress in the following situations. Being introduced to other people being teased or criticized, being the center of attention, being watched or observed while doing something, having to say something in a formal public situation, meeting people in authority, important people slash authority figures, feeling insecure and out of place in social situations, quote, I don't know what to say, end quote, being embarrassed easily, Blushing, shaking, those type of things. And meeting other people's eyes, swallowing, writing, talking, making phone calls in public. And it says this list is not a complete list of symptoms. Other symptoms may be associated with social anxiety as well. I feel like I was reading one of those um, <laughs> those medication commercials. But... um. Yeah, all these symptoms, these are definitely triggering symptoms for me. Being introduced to other people, yeah, that's very, that can be a, a tense situation for me. I've gotten better with that um, just because uh, my my jobs, when I go to work, I'm introduced to people all the time. So I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with that anymore. Being teased or criticized, I definitely still have a, a big thing with that. So a lot of times I don't I don't say certain things or I don't act goofy and I don't, you know, show my sense of humor a lot of times because I'm worried about being teased or criticized. Being the center of attention, definitely. I hate being the center of attention and I usually am and it's not to be conceited or anything, but a lot of people, they they make me the center of attention because of my looks 
and stuff. And a lot of people think that I am conceited and stuff because, uh, you know, I'm so quiet and I don't talk and stuff like that. I've had that said to me plenty of times before that I think I'm better than other people and stuff like that because I'm not talking, which is the weirdest thing ever. But that's people's projections. Um, What else? Being watched or observed while doing something. And that's actually a weird one that has come up um, over the past couple of years. And it's, it's, it's honest, I'm embarrassed to say it because it's like, you know, I own my own home. You know, I got to go out, cut my grass, do yard work, stuff like that. I get anxiety going outside just to cut the grass because I don't want people to look at me. And that's just the weirdest thing to me. And it's to me right now, just saying it is embarrassing. I'm embarrassed at the fact that somebody is actually going to hear this and be like, what? And this is crazy. This is one reason why I wanted to talk about the social anxiety so bad, because I feel like people don't really understand how debilitating it could be and how how strong of an anxiety and fear that it can put over somebody. But yeah, I'd be nervous about people seeing me cut the grass in my own house. It's just weird. <laughs> it really is. Um having to say something in a formal or public situation. Um that can go hand in, that can go it, it depends. It depends on what day it is because at, at work I give presentations often and I went to college for communications where I had to study, take a lot of classes in public speaking and, you know, um oral communication and stuff like that. So it just depends on how I'm feeling at the moment. Some, you know, I could be I can be nervous sometimes, and sometimes I won't. It just all depends. And I guess it it all depends on who the audience is also. Um, meeting people in authority. No, nah, I don't really trip off of that. Um, feeling insecure and out of place in social situations. Yeah, that's definitely something that I deal with. I deal with it often, even when I'm around people that I know, even when I'm around with friends and family. Um, I feel insecure. It's it's times where I don't where I haven't gone to family functions because my social anxiety started acting up, or you know, um, going out certain places with my lady or something like that. You know, I would I would my social anxiety would act up and I would be nervous about that and it would cause issues in the relationship, cause issues with my family, my, you know, my parents thinking I don't want to see him and stuff, but my social anxiety would be acting up to the point where I'm so used to staying in the house, I don't want to come out the house. Yeah, it's, it could be rough at times. Um, embarrassing easily. Yeah, I can definitely get embarrassed easily, and it, it usually happens when I'm with when I'm with uh, my friends, with my boys and stuff. Um, you know, you get around your friends or whatever, you're going to crack on each other and stuff like that. And for the most part, I'd be cool, but sometimes, you know, that my social anxiety comes up where, you know, I'm easily embarrassed if I'm getting talked about with certain things, especially when it's things that I know aren't aren't true about me or it's, or it's based off a perception that they have of me, you know, I get easily embarrassed. And especially when they when it's something about 
you know, my looks or me thinking that I'm better than somebody or, you know, something like that. Uh, meeting other people's eyes. I don't, I don't really trip off of that. Um, swallowing, writing, talking, making phone calls in public. Uh, yeah, I do have some social anxiety around my writing. Um, that's why it's taking me so long to write my book, honestly. I have social anxiety around that, worried about how people are going to perceive it, perceive the things that I talk about, my vulnerability in it, which is weird because, you know, I'm I'm very vulnerable with the podcast, with both the podcasts that I'm a part of. Um, making phone calls in public. Um, I don't necessarily have anxiety around making phone calls in public, but I do have an anxiety around making phone calls to people that I don't know. Or if I have to take care of certain business, I'll start to get anxiety around that, which is weird to me, but, I mean, it's, it's something that I deal with. Okay, emotional symptoms. The feelings that accompany social anxiety include anxiety, high levels of fear, nervousness, automatic negative emotional cycles, racing heart, blushing, excessive sweating, dry throat and mouth, trembling, and muscle twitches. In severe situations, people can develop a dysmorphia concerning part of their body, usually the face in which they perceive themselves irrationally and negatively. Constant, intense anxiety and fear is the most common symptom. Yeah, emotional symptoms. I definitely deal with the racing heart and uh, sweating. <laughs> Excessive sweating, yeah. Even before um, I mic'd up and stuff and started getting ready, you know, to sit down and record, I was excessively sweating <laughs> because I was, you know, I was nervous about, you know, recording again and how it would go. And if if I still, you know, remembered how to do everything, how to hook up the the recorder and to edit afterwards and get the video together and stuff. I was definitely nervous and I was sweating over that. <laughs> okay, and this says insight. People with social anxiety typically know that their anxiety is irrational. Mm -hmm. It's not based on fact and does not make rational sense. Definitely. Never nevertheless, Thoughts and feelings of anxiety persist and are chronic, i.e. show no signs of going away. Appropriate, active, structured, cognitive behavior therapy is the only solution to this problem. Decades of research have concluded that this type of therapy is the only way to change the neural pathways in the brain permanently. This means that a permanent change is possible for everyone. And this is why I was so so nervous about, you know, this social distancing popping up and being back into a familiar pattern and habit of staying in the house and being shut in and stuff because, you know, I was already making progress with being more social and going out and doing things by myself and stuff like that. And now I'm right back to square one <laughs> where I'm going to have to go right back to doing um start starting all over with you know trying to get out of excuse me my social anxiety phase and i ain't gonna lie i'm pissed <laughs> that's probably the 
excuse me, the only thing that I'm pissed off about with, with you know, being um, shut in like this. And But like I said, I know everything happens for a reason. And I'm, I don't take this lightly. And it's definitely helped me with other parts of um, my mental health, you know, that me and my therapist has worked with. And, you know, uh, prayers and blessings to all the families and and friends that who have lost someone. Because, you know, despite the fact that, you know, there's a lot of conspiracies and the numbers don't add up with how... Um, they say people are dying in in relation to being affected. You know, we definitely do know that the the coronavirus is real. And one thing that I'll say just about that in particular is, you know, I understand the fear and the worry, but don't let it consume you because by letting that consume you, that affects your immune system as well. So, you know, that can be another factor in, you know, being... Uh, cautious with with everything that's going on, you know, wearing your mask, your your gloves, and washing your hands and stuff. Uh, but also remember that your mind has an effect on your body, and just not to let that fear and that worry consume you so much. You know, try not to watch the news so much or be on social media so much, and pay attention to those posts and stuff that talk about the deaths and the numbers and stuff. Because we absolutely don't know everything. And the news, you know, outside of the conspiracies, we do know that the news has an agenda as well. And, you know, we don't want to let their agenda be our reality. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, Let me take a sip real quick. Uh, avoiding common social situations. Common everyday experiences that may be hard to endure when you have social in it, social anxiety disorder include, for example, interacting with unfamiliar people or strangers, attending parties or social gatherings, going to work or school, starting conversations, making eye contact, dating, entering a room in which people are already seated, returning items to a store, eating in front of others, uh, using a public restroom. And like I've already talked about, uh, interacting with unfamiliar people or strangers, that's definitely, you know, uh, a social situation that I try to avoid. Uh, And Attending parties and social gatherings is definitely something that I try to avoid, even if it's family or it's friends. You know, a lot of times, you know, uh, my friends would get mad at me because I didn't show up to some of their events or whatever, and they would take it personally. But it was because of my social anxiety. And, you know, as, as, as hard as it was for me not to go, it was just, you know, it was just as hard for me to actually be there. And I had a lot of um, bad situations with friends and like I stated before um with uh women based off of that um just 
just being uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, being scared of being in certain social settings, being in social settings where I didn't know everybody or it's tough because uh, like in the past, I remember like moments that really hurt me was when uh, I had another group of friends and um, they started not inviting me places. They started not inviting me to clubs, to the club when I was back in my club days. They started not inviting me on trips and stuff, and they were hurt. And they were especially hurt when I would, you know, confront them about it and their response to it, to me about it. You know, they would say, well, we just figured you was going to say no, so we decided not to ask you. And it hurt. It made me mad, you know. And back then... I wasn't so calm in my approach to things, so, you know, <laughs> my anger and stuff made the situation worse. But it it really shut me down from, you know, being more social and, and wanting to make new friends and stuff because I will always be worried about, you know, how they would feel if, you know, if my social anxiety acted up and I didn't come to hang out with them or something like that, you know. And these have been some hurtful moments for me because uh you you know you you feel like you have a friendship with somebody, but you know, and even in in those moments back then, I didn't really know what was going on with me. I didn't know I was suffering with social anxiety, so it's not like I could you know sit there and tell them, oh well, you know, I deal with this, so that's why I don't really show up like that, but you think that these people are your friends, so you know that it won't get to that escalated point where they just stop inviting you places. And, yeah, it would be tough. And going to work or school, of course, like I said, social anxiety really started back when I started freshman year high school, moving to a new part of the county and stuff like that. And just as me getting older, it just, you know, escalated. It got worse. Definitely got real bad when I was in college. Um I was very, like, scared to walk into the class if, if, you know, everybody was already in there sitting down and stuff like that. It was, it's, it, I'm uncomfortable talking about it, but, you know, I'm trying to be as vulnerable as I can, but, it, you know, I feel embarrassed <laughs> speaking about it because I feel like even me being more open about my social anxiety that is going to push, it's going to push people away from me, you know. They're going to think I'm I'm weird. And people have actually thought that I was weird or I was a misfit because of my social anxiety, because I was too quiet or I was too serious or I didn't come out to places when I was invited and stuff like that. I particularly remember like uh, uh, when I was in high school and in like the early part of my years in college, like some women used to think that I was gay because they would be trying to pursue me and you know, my social anxiety would prevent me from, you know, moving on to their, their, their pursuit. You know, they would ask me out, ask to hang out and stuff like that. But my social anxiety, I was afraid to to be around these these women, you know. And I remember particularly, like, <laughs> some of them asking me if I was gay or thinking I was gay. And that, I mean, that that was hurtful as well, you know. Not hurtful in the sense of, you know, me just thinking like, you know, well, damn, you know, I don't want to be 
you know, gay or gay is a bad thing, but in the sense of they were judging me and perceiving me just based off of me not wanting to or me not following up on their pursuit, so to speak. Um, starting conversations, yeah, that can't be a difficult thing for me. It's usually a difficult thing for me when I'm in situations where I definitely don't know people. And it, it it's definitely like that with people I actually know, with people that I'm not used to. Like some of my uh, my boys, even though I've known them for years or whatever, if I'm not around them a lot or I don't have a uh, conversation with them often, it can be very uncomfortable for me starting a conversation with them. Um, dating, I already talked about that. Um, entering a room in which people are already seated, I talked about that. Um, returning items to the store, and that's definitely something that's that's weird and strange for me, and it's very embarrassing to speak about. Um, sometimes I have to, I will have to be on the phone when I will walk into stores because I will feel, I will feel anxious and scared walking into the store just to go grocery shopping or something. So all I have to be on the phone. <laughs> it's just crazy. Um, yeah. So, causes. Like many other mental health conditions, social anxiety disorder likely arises from a complex interaction of biological and environmental factors. Possible causes include inherited traits, Anxiety disorders tend to run in families. However, it isn't entirely clear how much of this may be due to genetics and how much is due to learned behavior. Brain structure. A structure in the brain called the amygdala may play a role in controlling the fear response. People who have an overactive amygdala may have a heightened fear response causing increased anxiety in social situations. Environment. Social anxiety disorder may be a learned behavior from some people. Oh, social anxiety disorder may be a learned behavior. Some people may develop the condition after an unpleasant or embarrassing social situation. Also, there may be an association between social anxiety disorder and parents who either model anxious behavior, behavior in social situations or are more controlling or overprotective of their children. So... Uh, this is an interesting one because um, inherited traits and environment, and I think those are mainly the causes of my social anxiety. Um, seeing my dad, my dad, um, looking at my dad and things that I've, I've watched of him uh, just, you know, growing up and how I act today and having a lot of discussions that I have in therapy, I definitely feel like I picked up uh, some social anxiety from him. Um, you know, based off of learned behavior, just seeing, you know, how he react. And it could it be genetic? I don't know. But I definitely see similarities in how me and him socially interact with people. Um, environment. And, you know, part of the environment is the learned behavior. So I definitely believe that plays a factor in it. Um, some people may develop the condition after an unpleasant or embarrassing social situation. I definitely believe that plays a factor in it because I definitely had certain situations that heightened my social anxiety. So 
I definitely feel like that plays a role in those two. The learned behavior and the uh, unpleasant and embarrassing social situation, because I definitely had some. And, you know, that just compounded my social anxiety based off of the learned behavior and the unpleasant and embarrassing social situations. Um, And my mom, she definitely was overprotective of me. So I definitely think that plays a role in it, too. Um, Because when I was younger, I wasn't really allowed to be social a lot. I wasn't, I, I had a like a strict curfew. I wasn't allowed to really go a lot of places and stuff like that. And also I wasn't really allowed to be social in the home setting as well, you know, um, as a kid. And this is not to put any blame on, on, on my mom or my dad, period. Because, you know, that all this stuff is just learn behavior that's passed down so you know we all do the best that we can based off of what we got you know in our childhood but I definitely wasn't able to be as social in the home setting you know I've talked about this before you know me being social with my my parents and asking questions and stuff like that and and always being told to not ask so many questions or to you know, be quiet when adults are in the room and stuff like that, you know, because my, my parents come from a a, a strict uh, Southern background. So that definitely played a role in, you know, my social interaction with people. Um, risk, risk factors. Several factors can increase the risk of developing social anxiety disorder, including including family history. You're more likely to develop social anxiety disorder if your biological parents or siblings have the conditions. I already spoke about that. Negative experiences. Children who experience teasing, bullying, rejection, ridicule, or humiliation may be prone to social anxiety disorder. I definitely have uh, experienced a lot of rejection in my life, particularly when I was younger. In addition, other negative events in life, such as family conflict, trauma, or abuse, may be associated with social anxiety disorder. Temperament. Children who are shy, timid, withdrawn, or restrained when facing new situations or people may be at a greater risk. Uh, New social or work demands. Social anxiety disorder symptoms typically start in the teenage years. Hmm. I said that, um, but meeting new people, giving a speech in public, or making an important work presentation may trigger symptoms for the first time. Um, yeah, like I said, my freshman year of high school, moving to a new part of the county, going, you know, starting high school, uh, having to make new friends and stuff, that definitely was a culture shock to me. Uh, having an appearance or condition that draws attention, for example, facial disfigurement, Stuttering or tremors due to Parkinson's disease can increase feelings of self-consciousness and may trigger social anxiety disorder in some people. Uh, my appearance definitely has something to do with that. Like I said, I, I when I went to that high school and how that high school was labeled and how everybody was, I didn't have the Jordans. I didn't have all the the popular clothes and stuff like that. You know, I just, I was just cute. <laughs> so that... I got over on a lot of things because of my looks, but dress-wise, yeah, 
I remember getting teased about that before being called a bam at times and stuff like that, but it is what it is. Complications. Left untreated social anxiety disorder can run your life. Anxieties can interfere with work, school, relationships, or enjoyment of life. Social anxiety disorder can cause low self-esteem, trouble being assertive, negative self-talk, hypersensitivity to criticism, poor social skills, isolation and difficult social relationships, low academic and employment achievement, substance abuse such as drinking too much alcohol, suicide or suicide attempts. Yeah, I definitely have have battled low self-esteem, uh, trouble being assertive. Uh, what's crazy about that, that was part of the breakthrough that I had when I spoke with my therapist uh, last week. And what we are going to focus on, we're going to focus on uh, my assertive assertiveness, me being more assertive. And, you know, and that was part of the breakthrough that I had with uh, about my dad and about how um, our relationship or lack thereof was, you know, part of why I lack assertiveness. Uh, negative self-talk definitely deal with I dealt with that, you know, that's why I focus so much on affirmations and positive self-talk. Uh, poor social skills. Uh, I don't necessarily believe I have poor so- social skills because when I'm open, you know, um, I, I'm very good at being social. Um, isolation and difficult social relationships. I definitely agree with the isolation. Like I said, I'm always, you know, shut in in the house. And that's something that I was working on and progressing from before social distancing started. Low academic and employment achievement. And I, I definitely can agree with both. Um, I do. When I was in school, I did it when I felt like doing it. You know, um, a lot of my social anxiety uh, uh, prevented me from being a, a good student academically. I, I'm very intelligent, but I just lacked the do you know quote unquote the do as and and that that's along with my employment achievements you know even though I'm a, a great employee I still struggle with the do you know actually do <laughs> um I don't deal with any substance abuse but I actually did have moments where you know back in the day when I used to go to the club or even when I would get into when I would have situations where I was going to a function, a social function, or a party, or something like that. I did, you know, would make sure that I would, I would drink to loosen me up and stuff like that. Not to the point where I got drunk, but you know, have a drink or two to loosen me up, so I wouldn't have those fears and you know that anxiety wrapped around me. So I guess, yeah, I mean that that is substance abuse because you know, and that will, that's another topic for later. Um, never dealt with suicide or suicide attempts. Um, prevention. There is no way to predict what will cause someone to develop an anxiety disorder, but you can take steps to reduce the impact of symptoms in your anxiety. Get help early. Anxiety, like many other mental health conditions, can be harder to treat if you wait. Keep a journal. Keeping track of your personal life can help you and your mental health professional identify what's causing you stress and what seems to help you better. Prioritize issues in your life. You can reduce anxiety by carefully managing your time and energy. Make sure that you spend time doing things you enjoy. Avoid unhealthy substance use. Alcohol and drug use and even caffeine or nicotine can cause or worsen anxiety. If you are addicted to any of these substances, quitting can make you anxious. If you can't quit on your own, 
see your doctor to find treatment or a program that will support you. That is very important to get, you know, support, the support that you need. Um, yeah, as I was saying, you know, um, I was definitely progressing in, you know, getting over my social anxiety, uh, my therapist was giving me homework assignments and, and challenging me to go out more and do things by myself. And I was doing that. I went to a concert by myself. I was going out uh, to eat by myself. You know, I was doing things by myself to work through those things, you know. Um, and I was being more, you know, I was I was working on being more assertive and social at, at work and in certain settings and stuff like that. Um, I already journal uh some so um that 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 definitely helps and just and just getting the help now just going to therapy has helped it you know um i i very much enjoy therapy so i'm thankful for it um and let me uh talk about some of these st- statistics 36% of people report experiencing symptoms for 10 years before getting help and that and I guess I was part of that thirty six percent, despite the fact of me not knowing what I was going through. I mean, it was it was way over ten years before I started getting help for my social anxiety or you know my mental illness period, and, you know depression, and my generalized anxiety. Social anxiety can be fully treated with cognitive behavioral therapy. One study found that eighty five percent of participants were able to drastically improve or recover with cognitive behavior therapy alone. And that's a good thing. Um, social anxiety disorder affects approximately 15 million American adults. According to the U.S. National uh, Comor- Comorbidity Survey, social anxiety has a 12-month prevalence rate of 6.8%, placing it as the third most common mental disorder in the United States. Statistically, social anxiety disorder is more common in women than men. That makes kind of sense. Uh, despite the availability of effective treatments, fewer than 5% of people uh, uh, with social anxiety disorder seek treatment in the year following initial onset. More than a third of people report symptoms for 10 or more years before seeking help. One study found that, I already read that, one study found that 85% of participants were able to significantly improve or recover using cognitive behavioral therapy alone. And there you have it, living in a social distance. Boy, oh boy. And like I said, this has been something that I've dealt with for years and something that has been, you know, big in my life is this social anxiety. And and just me being trapped in social distance distancing being trapped in it throughout my life and being trapped in it right now in this moment because of you know what's going on in the world is is is, is very difficult is it's difficult it's frustrating and it can be hurtful but i am optimistic that you know i will get through this we all will get through this this moment in time right now um you know, everything happens for a reason. I would just say, you know, take time to, you know, take some time to, for yourself, you know, check in with yourself. 
You don't have to be busy during this time. You don't have to, you know, you see a lot of posts on social media right now saying, you know, with this time you need to start a business or start such and such and such. Don't worry about that. You know, if it's meant to be, that idea will come to you and, you know, you can sit down and go from there. But don't push yourself and press yourself to keep doing the same thing inside that you was doing outside. You have this time right now where you can take some rest. You know, you can evaluate some some things that have gone on earlier in this year or in the past year, some things that you may want to change, some things that you may want to expand on, you know. Just just take this time to, you know, just just sit with yourself, just, you know, relax and just just take a breather. Because I really do feel like this this time right now is is to give everybody a chance to just evaluate some things to look in the mirror you know to, to to change some things you know i'm i'm thankful for the time i'm thankful to still be working i'm thankful to have my house i've i noticed that you know since this since this uh coronavirus and me being in the house more i have been despite the fact that i've been kind of frustrated with being in the house and not being able to progress on my social anxiety that I've been coming more appreciative of my house. I've been coming more appreciative of my job. Like I'll just walk around the house or sit around the house and be like, I'm really blessed right now. I'm I'm sitting in different rooms in the house and like I'm really blessed to have you know the things that I have right now. Some people will really kill for the things that I have right now. You know, in the past I would I wouldn't be so appreciative. I wasn't thankful for the things that I have. I wasn't thankful for my house or the things that I have in my house or my car or my job and stuff like that, you know, because I was so focused on what somebody else had or what I wanted instead of really sitting and appreciating what I have. And I have I have a good I have a I have a really good life. <laughs> I'm not where I want to be, but I have a really good life right now. I'm I'm. I'm very happy and I'm very grateful for, you know, what I have and everything that's going on. And I just know that it that it's going to get better from here. So, um I'm you know, I'm grateful for the time that I have in the house. You know, I'm I'm ready to get back out there, but you know, I'm take this day by day cuz you know, <laughs> sitting in the house for this uh social distancing, we really don't know what days we are in. <laughs> But I'm just thankful to have this podcast and have this moment to be vulnerable. This is part of my therapy, you know, being vulnerable with you, sharing and helping others. You know, I'm glad to be back. Season two, episode two. I have many more episodes on the way. I promise you, I promise you, I won't, <laughs> I won't, uh, you know, be too long with episode three. I really won't. I won't. But let me go ahead and end this. You know, you can catch me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. And the first episode of season two is on YouTube, A Taste to Consider Podcast. Episode two should be up there as long as, you know, I didn't forget how to do everything. (laughs) But either or, you know, you have my voice. You can close your eyes and visualize me. And as I always do, I end every episode with 
some music. And this is a song I'm really feeling right now. It won't be on YouTube, but it will be on Spotify and Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Stitcher. And this is a song by Aaron Ray, The Get Down. Shout out to everybody who support me. I love y'all. I love myself. I'm glad to be back. Here we go. I just want to move, baby, you know. Something like that, you dig? Can you dig it? All right. Go. 